1: Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of the Gormley Group and also is a uh, Chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Um, It's been quite a while. I think the last time I had you on, Bill, was um, you know back in February, March that time frame. So it's been quite lots to happen. So last
0: time we were we were actually together, right? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. You had distance learning. Now we got distance radio
1: interviews. Yeah, distance virtual radio, I guess, or something. I don't know what you would call it, but um, it's amazing what technology can do. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that you know, later when we talk about the government's response and, you know, the remote work. But first, I know something near and dear to your heart, um, the GSA schedules program, and it's gone through quite a transformation over the last two, three years. And I think, I guess we're on phase three um, of the schedules consolidation. And I just want to give you a chance to recap where we were and how far the schedules have come and what phase three is all about. Yeah, and first
0: off, uh, hats off to GSA you know it's a, they've done a, a yeoman's job uh, to first off just a, just to map out the objective you've gone through phase one where they've the terms and conditions and phase two is actually implementing the, the going to a one schedule solicitation there that's in the six months or eight months into that now I guess and the um, phase three starts uh, as we speak and uh, that's really the, the final phase of, uh, of the major consolidation parts. Having said that, you know there's a lot that goes uh, into each phase. And I think GSAs to its credit, you know has made progress through uh, over really a short period of time when you consider all the, all the policy changes and all the inner workings and systems and so forth like anything else though it, is, it can always use refinement, right I mean right. Uh, I think they're heading in the right direction with the right intent of minimizing workload internally as well as for industry. but as that as those two ingredients uh, the most important one is the customer. Um, so I think there'll be a you know a significant training side that GSA will use for the customer side to demonstrate its benefit on how they can use ebuy now moving forward. And have multiple schedules under one requirement. And so, in a macro sense, GSA has done a great job. I think where, where the where you start to take it off the jack stands and get this thing rolling, you know, you're going to have refinements along the way. I think one of the key areas there is and I hate to use the word training because we'll, we talk about that forever, but I think it, it really, is, uh, from our interfacing with some folks, it's it's there's really a need to have continuous training on this and like leave no stone unturned because there's some folks that still are not that familiar with it internally. And I think that's where, you know, JSA has further opportunity to even you know, make the program better internally. And then therefore that
1: translates to external relationships with industry and the customer base. Right. So thinking about like, I can remember phase one, I just remember that issue, there issuing like a, request for a comment or just pulling every clause yeah. hundreds of clauses across all the different schedules and pulling every one of those, putting them out and trying to figure out, you know, where the overlap was, what one should be applicable or not applicable. That was just phase one yeah. and then figuring that out and then translating that into an actual single solicitation. To your point, I think GSA has done a really good job of outreach to industry explain to industry what it means and what the implications are and things that companies need to think about but that training piece for the customer and for the internal GSA employees yeah there's an opportunity to focus more on that and that will translate into I think uh, greater value perhaps more frictionless um, you know in transactions and engagement between government and industry on the schedules and so I think that's a great point with regard to the training. Yeah, I think not to belabor it, but
0: just the more elaborate. I think the training, having in-person training throughout GSA, their acquisition centers, is very important. And understandably so, but a lot's been handled online. I think, uh, I think when you get everybody together and people have to talk through it, I think you gain a further advantage for GSA. So hopefully at some point they'll do that at the in-person side.
1: Well, in the meantime, I guess, you know, different folks can do like Zoom meetings or WebEx or whatever they use. And just like we're talking now um, on the radio show, at least we can engage and have conversations. It's not it's sort of virtually face to face. It's not quite, you know, the same as being in the same room with someone. But still, I think that's more effective, I think, in the long run than just, you know, wrote online sort of lectures. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that there, there, there's no exchange there. And you know, yes, you
0: can a- ask some questions, but all that's delayed. It's not a, a normal business discussion or conversation, which I think is necessary on a lot of this.
1: Yeah. So phase three, I just want to, you, you know, that's an area where I think that's a lot about companies who have multiple contracts trying to work their way down to one or GSA working with them. Do you have any, you know, quick thoughts on what companies need to think about in that context? Oh, uh,
0: in phase three is
1: uh, probably more so in, in the earlier
0: phases, but to your point, you have multiple contracts. So, you know, one of the things to really pay attention to, and it's going to be interesting to see how GSA handles this, is that are BPAs. If you have a BPA, if you have three or four contract, three or four different schedule contracts and you have BPAs under each one of them or one or two, it doesn't make any difference. You know, how do you transition that to one contract? So, I think it would be really good for GSA to work out some bridge language that um, will allow the BPAs to move to a single solicitation. I mean, the BPAs were created um, in, in a manner that was associated with a specific contract number. So, you know, the fact that it's the same company doing the same, providing the same product services or solutions, you know, then, you know, to, for GSA to have made gotten to one schedule, in a theory standpoint, then theoretically the BPA should should be able to move over to that one schedule because that that that's going to help GSA accelerate the reduction of number of contracts if they can uh, address that potential hurdle. I leave it that way right now.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, you know, there's going to be you know you're going to have a situation right where despite the effort to get to one. Companies are going to need to keep contracts in place, even if you can't order from them, just to keep the BPA in place, I guess, perhaps. It's all about the numbers and tracking. Yeah, I think it's more, and I don't want to minimize it because I know
0: you're a lawyer. You know, where, <laughs> It's a lawyers. But, yeah, I think that's where GSA's legal department should be willing to jump in and help uh, work through any language that may be necessary. But personally, I view it more as a, it's really an, an administrative matter. And I think it should be addressed because it can accelerate exactly where GSA wants to go.
1: Right. So the, the other aspect of that, and we're already, we only got a minute left in this segment and we just we just got started. But um, so the other part of that seems to me that's critically, that we talked about training. We talked, you talked about BPAs in this phase three, the systems, right? And I think eBuy is critically important to this and how they adjust eBuy to reflect, you know, the single contract, or the single solicitation and how that, you know, how, how is that going from your perspective?
0: Um, they're putting uh, language out there to help the customer side. And, you know, then you have the NAICS codes versus the SINs and you have new special item numbers. And so, you know, they're having to address, you know, everybody knows the old, you know, the IT 70 SINs is the an example. And so the, it's really a familiarization of uh, getting the board out. So the more they can, can translate a, a SIN into the new NAICS code and have that automatically in eBuy. that would be a huge advantage for everybody. But we didn't talk uh, labor hours too. When you have multiple contracts, you could have the same labor category or very similar and have different rates there too. too. So consolidation on that, and It needs to be some clear understanding on both parties before the you know, companies are willing to merge.
1: Right. Yeah. We can talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break and we can talk about, um, You know, enhancing competition in that labor hour arena. You know, and the authority GSA's Um, had—it's coming up on two Um, years—and then we'll turn to you know best-in-class contracting and what is it and where do the schedules fit in in that. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He is the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He's a president of the Gormley Group and chairman of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And Bill, when we took the break, you had brought up, you know, rightly, and, and it's a great point, the, you know, the negotiation or the addressing of labor hour race for where companies have multiple service contracts and they have similar, I guess, labor categories, but they're different and they have different rates and how that gets reconciled between the companies and GSA. Yeah. More thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think it's where, you know,
0: it's, it's tough on both parties because you know, everybody wants to, you know, they've had earlier agreements, both parties had earlier agreements on a set of labor categories. and, And to your point, some may be exact labor categories, but they're under different schedules could be a systems analyst, you know, level one or something. As an example, but now now they've and they've had different negotiation times, different nego- different negotiators. But part of this is also, you know, how are they have a, a price EPA clause? How, how are you gonna implement that? Some have longer five year pricing. So those are part if of they
1: it. BPA I'm sorry, if they have BPAs in place too, you know, theoretically, that they're under multiple contracts with different rates. That'd be interesting to see yeah, there,
0: yeah there's a flow down impact to your point. And on the bpas and task orders so are, are they gonna let them run out and that, that may be the most uh easiest way to say we've resolved it but if, if you're trying to address lowering the number of contracts which is the overall ultimate objective then then collectively both parties should be able to figure it out and move towards one contract i mean they that's that's where they got to spend the time to figure that out and flush it out
1: yep. yeah well and another aspect of that, that i wanted to ask you about is um you know, GSA and civilian agencies as a whole have you know It's that we're coming, and this week actually represents or is the two-year anniversary of you know this um, Section Eight Seventy Six in the in the NDA in two thousand, I guess nineteen NDA, eighteen NDA, whichever it is. It's so long ago that basically gave. Uh, GSA, the flexibility to focus on task order competitions for services priced on a labor hour rate, not have to focus on negotiation of contract level pricing, the concept being opening the market to new emerging capabilities from the commercial market. It's very pro-small business business measure that um, would allow, I guess, for more frictionless entry into the federal market and focus on you know, the transaction at the transaction level. And I know you're going to talk a lot about that because you're big about where the competition really takes place. But GSA hasn't taken any steps to implement that authority. And I think it's just a potentially a missed opportunity in the context of schedules consolidation. Do you have thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think first off, GSA, they're pretty good at multitasking. Okay. I'll say that. So they, they got a lot going on. So let's just, let's not, so we don't, You know, so we're recognizing that throughout this whole show here. So that's a given, but we still need to recognize it. So on 876, I'm hopeful that as they get through this, that that there are progressive steps here. As they get through this consolidation, then they can start looking at how can 877, now you you can have one focal point of a standard or practice, however you want to categorize it, uh, through one schedule. So, and that may make it easier to take the next step on 876 but to your point the competition i don't care whether it's a schedule gwag IDA, whatever is going to happen at the transaction level i mean when the, when the requirement gets real the money is going to be obligated an award is going to be made for a buy so to speak that's where you know everybody sharpens their pencil and it gets real and i think it's a key area that's overlooked and I'm not going to float into the IG here a lot, but I'll say, you know, when, when the IG does audits of the schedules, they're looking at the award price. They're not looking at what the award discount, they're not looking at the task order, what occurred at the task order level. And that's where the dollars are actually are spent. And it's not, it's not cost avoidance at that time. It's the reality. So enhancing competition, you know, is something like GSA through the consolidation i think from their viewpoint is going to enable an enhancement of competition because you're going to have you mentioned e-buy earlier Roger, and you know now they're going to host an e-buy requirement that could cut across what would have been traditional multiple schedules and that's going to favor small business at least get them more opportunity um, and as well as uh, you know all other vendors that are that are within that requirement so i think that's a that's pretty exciting that's enhancing competition at the requirement level. And I think, you know, the next step for GSA is to, is there a way to treat schedules like they basically do a GWAC when it comes to pricing?
1: Right. Yeah. That seems to, I mean, make a good point. You know, you could look hopefully that this consolidation creates a framework for taking the next step to implement section 846, 876, excuse me, you know, enhancing competition at the task order level. Yeah. And I think that we haven't talked about it
0: and maybe you don't mind talking, we can talk about best in class or something.
1: Yeah. I, I had one final question and just where do we, and it's, uh, and maybe it'll take a little bit of time and then we can go to best in class and I apologize, but it was question is transactional data uh, reporting, and, you know, in the context of consolidation, where do you see that going? Be, do you see it becoming basically, you know, the entire schedule is TDR versus the PRC. I mean, you know, I guess the applicability of the PRC is narrowing, you know, by the day in terms of people adopting TDR.
0: Yeah, I think TDR is is a significant step towards moving towards a GWAC type pricing arrangement. Okay, but on this, particularly on the services side, but on the product, you know, and talk, you know, we interface with a lot of government people and and have good exchanges and ideas and so forth. You know, here is an area that a lot of discussion not only within government, but out of government is data. I mean, that that word now, you know, it's just like (laughs) data comes up in, in in short order in any conversation, you know, when you talk about running a company or running an organization and how decisions are made based on data. But I can also say that industry has folks with a data, a, a position of analyzing data and, I think the government should consider some sort of data analytics position. Uh, so they have someone who's committed to it. It's not, a, it's not, you know, what do you think about the data? Go get some data. And then they're trying to figure it all out. So, I mean, the, the question for GSA internally, you know, they have the category management and everything, you know, how much are they, how much of this data, I mean, it should are be they using? Yeah. You know, something that they need to ask internally. If you have it, you want it to be a value to you, not, okay, we're, 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 we got data on it. You know, the data is like a lot of things. It's time sensitive. Yes. It's not something you can store and come back and look at it. Uh, you can, it's a shelf life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Short shelf life too. Unfortunately, a lot of things go on the shelf and there's life, but you know, that's not, but you know what I mean? I mean, you want real real data, real time data is probably the best way to put it. So yeah. And that
1: goes to and understanding, you know, what, what you want to get out of the data, I think is a key piece of it too. Um, So you mentioned best in class, I guess, and there's a data component to that too. Um, you, you know, uh, you brought it up. You, you, what, uh, what were you thinking about best in class? I think the uh,
0: you know best in class you know, obviously has not been around as long as the schedule. Schedule has been around prior to GSA, but I think the intent of best in class um, by OMB or OFPP, you know, they, they should get credit for that. I mean, they have to figure that out now it's probably like a lot of things it's probably time to go back and look at it you know they have the new OFP, OFP administrators talking you know, to use the word frictionless you know he's big on that and he and I think they have uh, I don't know how many tiers they got was it two or three
1: three tiers
0: oh no. No. yeah how do you how can you be best and be in being three tiers I mean I mean I'm you know it's just it it's kind of in of itself ask you know well kind of ask a question. How can you be best in class? Well, I'm best in class too. And so I don't know if that's gold, you know, silver, bronze or something. I don't know. I mean, it's the same. Route. Right. Okay. So my point in point is that maybe it's time for them to, to look at best in class and how, how moving forward to create friction. Let's stick with that term or what they're using now. And a lot of people who are determined best in class use the schedules program as a basis of pricing i mean the irony of this is unbelievable and i and, I, and there, there's a i think there may be there's i don't know how many requirements there are to meeting best in class there's a lot probably 20 30 and gsa you know may not meet one of them or, or for schedule so i don't yeah, know i think
1: there's a there's a core group and then i mean, there's sub elements I, I don't know exactly how many there are it may not be quite 20 bill but there's you know it's more than like five or six and then they have sub things and well maybe the sub things but I was thinking sub categories probably. or whatever yeah.
0: but, the, but the point is, is that this is a over a 30 billion when well, you think VA it's over you know 40 billion dollar program it's your largest acquisition and it's like shame on government if your largest acquisition is not best in class <laughs> I mean, it's, you know so i think it's time to uh, to look at the overall objective of best in class identifiers and in um, schedules, you clearly be, you know, a, a, a major consideration, a serious consideration for for that for best in class, Roger.
1: Yeah. Um, to your point, we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back, and I think we'll talk too about GWAX in general. You know, the recent, you know, sort of, I guess, cancellation of the alliance small business mm-hmm. solicitation. What does that mean for the market? And now. You know the eight A stars, um, sort of. You know, I guess you call it expansion, but retraction at the same time, um, in terms of dollar value versus period of performance, and what that all means for small business. And you know, then move into you know maybe some VA um, discussion. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He is the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder. My guest today is Bill Gormley. He's the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And um, we've been talking, you know, primarily a lot about um, schedules. We talked a little bit best in class, and and you know, we kind of talked about all those criteria. I guess, Bill, just one thought. I, I wanted, I did want to tease one more question about around best in class and. One of the criteria that I just don't quite understand, and this is where, you know, things can get very bureaucratic, I guess, in terms of like all the measures the government or any organization, private sector or government can come up with. So one of those criteria for being best in class is it has to be a procurement that was, you know, basically the acquisition planning was done by a multi-stakeholder, multi-agency type group. And... You know, with the schedules, that's not even applicable in the sense that it's a program that's been around, to your point, longer than GSA. And it's these standing solicitations, the whole purpose of which is to meet government wide requirements. And I mean, I don't, and, and even in that effect, it seems to me GSA consults and coordinates with customer agencies all the time. Why else are they doing schedules consolidations and, and engaged customers and industry? What do you think that criteria? <laughs> you are killing me, Roger.
0: <laughs> so there's two aspects. There's one, to GSA's credit, GSA has a minimum requirement. So if you don't meet a minimum requirement, they cancel your contract. That's the customer demonstrating they either have requirements or they don't. So if they don't have requirements for what a contractor's offering or the contractor doesn't do a good job of marketing it, they're gone. GSA has that provision in there. Okay, that's number one. So there's some some validation of requirements right there. Number two is the validation of requirements. The, the beauty of it when the schedules program is it's commerciality. The world has determined whether these products and services are warrant a company to stay in business. So that exponential, that requirement is done by the private sector. And so that I think is addresses your point about in order for customers to say whether they want it or not, it's already been determined commercially, which is a much broader scale than the federal government. So that's what, you know, so if you want to get into customized requirements for a GWAC or something, that that's different. But for everyday use or common commercial practices, which the schedules offers at over $40 billion a year, I think the marketplace has determined the requirements. All
1: right. Yeah. No, it's good. So, you know, just recently, so the Alliance small business solicitation was canceled um, and GSA said it was going to rethink its approach to small business GWAC and small business opportunities in that IT, in the IT arena. Um, and there's no Alliance small business. It's, it's his, it's sort of done period right now while they rethink things. And then with 8A stars, GSA was a very successful contract to GSA's credit. And then what happened? What happened is they, because there's nothing in place yet, um, because it's so successful, they got to reach the ceiling so quickly, you know, they increased the ceiling by $7 billion. But then they also, and I think SBA had something to do with this, I, I, perhaps, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, reduced the term of performance, like, you know, for that $7 billion down to like two years or something less than that. So they take, you know, they give with one hand, take away with the other. And I think what's happening is the market is questioning the ability to use 8A stars because they can't award long-term task orders. You know, so that $7 billion expansion isn't, you know, being as effective as for opportunities for small business. And, I mean, that's a long, I know it's a long dissertation, but just what do you think, what's the impact from your perspective? And what should small businesses in the IT arena think about? with regard to the federal market?
0: So Roger, I think this is where hopefully the government organizations are a lot smarter than us. I think the, <laughs> the, the ceiling increase combined with the shortness of time is cr- what I call, you know, you know, I mean, it's positive pressure for GSA to figure this thing out within two years or next year. Uh-huh. I think, I think, cause if you had a pro prolonged time, you know, then it just allows it to go on. So I think, if SBA, to your earlier point, or whomever, you know, reduce the number of years, it's going to put the pressure on GSA to figure this out. So I, I call it a positive pressure internally.
1: Okay. Um, do you see the, I mean, and one of the things that uh, struck me about the small business IT market, uh, government-wide basis, is that, you know, the schedules, the IT schedule 70, the dollars going to small businesses there are equal to or greater than all the small business GWACs combined. Um, so that, that tells me that that's a hugely viable alternative for small businesses to focus on. You can set aside orders at the schedule level as well. Um, your thoughts? Well, there's flexibility
0: there, obviously. And, for, and it's also the, uh, as I tell industry, even when I was in government and all outside, if you're, if you're in IT, in this example you're providing, if you're in IT, you want to enter into the federal market, uh, then the schedules is going to give you the, your highest ROI. It, it's your lowest cost entry point to do business with the federal government, particularly in the IT side, Roger, because of the um, the fact that they can get, sell the state and locals as well. I mean, they can leverage that contract number. So it's understandable that the schedules year in, year out, exceeds the small business goals of the federal government. So I can get back on my best-in-class horse here. I mean, you right. other other values of the Skittles program exceeds other government values and socioeconomic. So there, there's another. I don't know if that's one of the criterias or not, but I, I think that I think that sort of answers your question.
1: No, yeah. thanks. Um I want to turn to the VA real quickly. Um, talk about you know some of what's going on there. I know from your your background in procurement and logistics, you know the VAs had a you know significant you know Uh, program the prime vendor program that it's been implementing you know sort of organically themselves for med surge, you know medical surgical equipment over the last few years Um, and they're continuing a pace i know they've awarded recently awarded some of the bpas for it and they've you know they're working on contracts for prime vendors for this follow-on, which would be, you know, five or six year or so contract. So they're working on that. And at the same time, they're partnering with the DHA, DOD, DLA to utilize in a pilot context, um, their logistics, um, tools, whether it's their contracts as well as their logistics ordering system called demos, um, for, for, and they're starting out in, I think it's vision 20 out in the, northwest of the country so they're going to have two things going on at once and what do you see in terms of the opportunities there challenges um folks are really interested in how the pilot is going to proceed and what the opportunities are to support the va through that first off,
0: step back one time I, I don't have the number i have visions in front of me but i know it's quite a few right
1: right it's so, like yeah so you do something like that
0: yeah so, so there's more visions than there are nfl teams we'll just start with that okay
1: uh, I don't think that's quite the case, but go
0: ahead. I, I think so. so. Anyway, you get the owners. How often do you get the owners of NFL? You know, what does it take to get the owners of an NFL team to agree on one thing? So for VA visions, you have each one, each location as their, their style, their practice, their, their logistics, you know, traditions. And for VA to just bring all that together and say, okay, now we're going to transport this to a DOD system. You know, you've had more meetings than I've had with VA on this, but I've, I've had some had it. And it's, you need talk about ownership. It's tough to give up ownership. And this is a clear example of where Congress has all has kind of mandated some of this to provide oversight to it. This is a tough, tough one. And yeah. time has been an indicator of that because they've tried to write in their other specifications, do single awards and all that. And I, think, I think moving to the DOD going to that moving in that direction is probably the only way that's going to break up and go into and so then change can happen sort of like GSA schedules I mean it took a lot to get all they to get took two years just to get terms and conditions together right so right right it, this is much more elaborate than that so yeah I want to give some credit here but it's it's a it's a it's a tough haul every single step is a yeah. tough haul is a tough one. Well, I think
1: one of the, you know, one of the positive developments we've seen, too, is that the, you know, the, uh, the VA has brought on a lot of logistics professionals and folks to help support the effort and with with DOD backgrounds. And I think, you know, I think from an industry perspective, they see that as a positive thing, you know, moving forward. And, you know, I, and t- I think to your point, it's going to take a lot of time. I think it's going to be a situation where they do have parallel systems in place for quite a while. While I figure this out, and I think you know the pandemic's probably given some them some lessons learned with regard to logistics and how to coordinate across all these different, you know, sort of stovepipes. Um, so, so we'll we'll see. Um, you know, I, and I think, geez, Bill, I think we're already up on the break, and we didn't even get to talk about e-commerce yet. So, I think when we come back for the next segment. Uh, We'll start out by talking about e-commerce. Maybe we'll talk about a little year-end spend or what you see, Um, and then any other thing else we can think of, I guess. (laughs) So my guest today is Bill Gormley. He is the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Bill Gormley. President of the Gormley Group, Chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. And, you know, so, Bill, um, this segment, I think we have three topics, and we'll try to hit them real quickly. Um, first of all, you know, just the state of the e-commerce pilot program, uh, Section 846, GSA, you know, awarded the contracts um, just, you know, I think a couple months ago. Um, so now they're the in the actual, you know, rollout stage. Um, what do you think, and where do you think it's going?
0: Well, GSA, I think this in the past week have issued instructions to the pilot on the pilot to the agencies who have signed up for it. So I was actually looking at those uh, actually yesterday, and uh, yeah, they have designated people that they're to contact the cart These are for credit card holders, obviously in government. Um, and the irony is, you know, the coalition's putting out its 2019, you know, was it market report or something? Yes. And so I was reading that as well, going over that, you know, with your, with your folks yesterday and, and obviously e-commerce comes up, as <laughs> a topic and there, there's no way to capture the current e-commerce, which is occurring in government. And, right. you know, we talked about schedules, there's e-commerce under schedules, you got GSA advantage, but you also have, you know, folks in government that are ordering off the contractor sites, which is a form of e-commerce. So yes. the yeah. GSA has this, has this requirement to do, you know, a pilot for e-commerce. And to your point, they've awarded that to three companies uh, implementation stage. And so, you know, I think we're just going to have to see how, how GSA uh, handles the data. And we're going to get back to this because it's all yeah. about the data, you know, it's category management, it's data. So, be interesting how they're going to be actually looking at this data on a monthly basis and i think part of the idea was to is there a way of buying things better um and buying it better doesn't necessarily mean a lower price it, it could just mean a better quality or better delivery or you know better yep. response so there's there's the best value side of this so be interesting to see how they have set up the criteria to evaluate the data so i think we're in a uh, I hate to say wait and see, cause I don't like, I don't like that position, but I think you know, they have taken uh, the next steps and put out instructions on it, right?
1: Right. I think, yeah, one of their goals is to collect data, <laughs> exactly address what you just described. And, and the interesting thing to see is part of collecting that data will probably one of their questions should be what data don't we have? Right. I mean, you know, like, cause there's only, they're t- only looking at a piece of the e-commerce market to your point because comp- because CEOs and people, you can go directly to a company's website and, award, uh, and order something and blow the micro purchase threshold. Boom! Use your credit card if you have the spending authority on the card. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they figure out the market and then where they can, how they can use the data to improve. To your point, improve and provide greater value to the customer agencies.
0: So, so I know we're on that. We have a limited time, but we haven't spoken about 889. And, and that's where. Kind oh, of- yes, yes.
1: That's a good point.
0: Go that ahead. It was e-commerce also, right? So we right. did that along with their overview of the other contracts, all the programs in government. the yeah, 889 uh, e-con. Their their new pilot program falls under 889. There's no exceptions here. So yeah. that, that, that's important to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, the e-commerce, the intersection between e-commerce and government requirements that are, you know, are more and more applying at all dollar levels is going to be interesting to see how that plays out, uh, you know, between all the different parties involved in the transactions. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about um, is just get your perspective on year end spend this year is an interesting year. We have COVID nineteen, right? Obviously, and there's been spending around a pandemic and modernization of IT systems. But we're coming up on the end of the year. Uh, just thoughts for you know for companies and government. What what you see from, based on your experience? Yeah, I've talked to some some folks
0: recently, and what they're seeing is this is pretty interesting. They're seeing an increase in the BPA interest with guaranteed minimums. The government is not going to have time to spend spend. What's on the books, but when they do a guaranteed minimum and a BPA allows them to keep the money and it doesn't go back to the Treasury, so we're we're seeing a sort of a, within the past couple of weeks uh, more discussions people are bringing up that that's the way the government seems to be addressing uh, some of the money that they're just not going to have the resources to actually spend. So that that's one, obviously. Products and furniture is going to be interesting because of COVID. Earlier, you know, we didn't get into a lot of the COVID aspects of this, but you know, furniture is looking at how to, how do we address the customers' needs now with COVID internally, and so um, the BPAs will allow government to to maintain a guarantee for the BPA allows government to keep the money and then flow it over to the next year for the requirement side.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the idea of frictionless procurement. I know the administrator, Michael Wooten's, um, coined that term. Um, it's an interesting, and I think in a different way, or actually a different adjective is the right word for, um, thinking about the procurement system, or maybe it's an adverb in some situations, right. (laughs) frictionlessly acquire something, right. Um, just, um, your thoughts on frictionless.
0: I I love his, uh, this theory or his approach on it. I mean, I think it's just, it's a great start. Um, it's like anything else, you know, you have the idea and we want to see the implementation side. And I think uh, a point we raised earlier, you know, would be a, a good example of, of, of looking at internally for OFPP to look internally on their definitions of best in class to make that frictionless and to make it simpler than what it is today. I mean, they, they got enough data on, on their best in class now to say hey how, how can we make this better how can we make it more how can we make this whole program more frictionless so I would look, look forward to having an opportunity you know, through the coalition I, I think it'd be good to have a frictionless event and have discussions on frictionless acquisition
1: yeah, well perhaps we could have a panel discussion or something or bring some experts together frictionly frictionlessly in a virtual meeting, to discuss, you know, opportunities to, you know, create a frictionless environment, right, for, for procurement, for the acquisition of products and services. Uh, interesting, on that COVID-19 response, when you're thinking about frictionless, it seems to me that the government, I know in industry, they talk about it a lot too, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. And it seems like the government ha- and industry both have made huge strides in upgrading Technological, I mean, IT capabilities, remote work, and that sort of thing. Are there? Do you see lessons learned from that in thinking about frictionless? Um, I,
0: I think the first off, you know, kudos <laughs> to the government. I mean, they've they've uh, you know, and I won't say it's been frictionless trans, trans, transition to to going virtual, but it's been easier probably than a lot of people would have thought years ago to, to be able to do what's being done today as an example of this radio show right here. Okay. So I, you know, credit there. Um, I think the, the, the need for still, I think it's over time the need for people to get together is, is still a, a valuable um, business need on the part of government to have meetings together as well. I mean, that's just, it's nature, it's life. It's not, old school versus new, new school here. You can do this for a while, but at some point you got to get together. So I think that's going to be the, uh, you know, an example of, you know, I think you're, you're going to have a, a virtual conference, right? And, yeah. and so what's going to be the experience of that versus having people there we can walk up to and, and have, have more of a uh, conversation related to one's interests on talking to the government. I think this will be it. But anyway, I think, I think overall, the government's done a very good job over
1: in you know, over handling it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for joining me on the show. I um, appreciate it. Good, good to see you again. <laughs> it's only virtually. <laughs> yes. And uh, stay safe and healthy. I want to thank my guest today, Bill Gormley. He's the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.